So we are in part two of our new series, Our Cross. And uh, we first looked at his cross, now we're looking at our cross. And if you remember in part one last week, we looked at the fact that the cross is foolish. That the idea of the weakness, the giving up, the surrender of the cross is, is foolish because our world is about winning. Our world is about getting ahead. Our world is about of, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or, or taking care of things and, and working your way up. That's, you know, people want to work their way up. Who, who wouldn't? You like to, you know, do better, get a promotion, make more money, whatever. We're always looking to move up. And of course, we saw a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the end of his cross that Jesus started at the top and worked his way down. And that's foolish because we're like, well, that's dumb. You don't want to work your way down. You want to work your way up. That's normal for us. And so then embracing this idea of a cross, which is based on giving up, based on surrender, based on embracing weakness and even defeat and shame, well, that's just dumb. And so that's what we looked at last week. So then when we start thinking about, well, what does it mean to boast? <coughs> Excuse me, boast in the cross. How do we boast about weakness and shame and losing? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if you will turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. We're going to finish the chapter, finish the book, the letter. And just a quick note here as we get to the end of the letter to the Galatians. Most of Paul's letters, probably a lot of Paul's letters, Paul, if you don't know this, Paul probably didn't write them himself. He had what's called an amanuensis. It's basically a, a guy who Paul would dictate the letter to, and this guy would write it down. But as we get to Galatians, the end of Galatians, and the end of Galatians 6, the letter, the evidence is that Paul actually took over the writing to finish up. Because in verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And so, and, and there's some debate whether Paul had bad eyesight, possibly because of his encounter on the road. And so he wrote with big letters because he couldn't see well, or whether uh, big letters is a metaphor for he is making a big point here. But either way, he's writing this part himself as he closes the letter. And uh, just an interesting point here. And so let's read together, uh, just follow along as we read uh, verses 12 through 18 in Galatians chapter 6. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so, they will not, so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. All right, just a short passage. But a lot here to unpack as he talks about boasting. And one of the things that's pretty interesting in this passage is that there's a lot of play on words. And actually, all the way through the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, there's a lot of play on words. And the, the Bible is very skilled, a very skilled document 
uh, literarily. And uh, we miss a lot of it because it wasn't written in our language. And by the time you translate it, a lot of the play on words are harder to catch. And here, the play on words is, is still, you can sort of catch it as he talks about them wanting to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, of course, he's talking about circumcision. Circumcision is about cutting off a piece of flesh. And we won't need to go into that medically at this point, but it's about cutting off a piece of flesh. And so he says they want to make a good showing in the flesh, meaning in public, outwardly. And he goes, and they want to use your flesh to do it. And so it's a little play on words there that he's doing, a little kind of a joke of they want you to be circumcised so they can show off your flesh. And what he means is they're looking, desiring a good showing in the outward. They're looking for results. They're looking to show their influence, to show that they have followers. He says that what is not motivating them is obedience. They're not being motivated by obedience, but it is about, including, it's about avoiding disapproval, avoiding persecution. Now, when we think about persecution, we tend to think about, you know, like the government stuff. Uh, oh, the government's persecuting us, or, you know, the dark forces. But here, the persecution that they were suffering, and, and much of the New Testament, not always, sometimes it, was, sometimes it was civil authorities, but most of the persecution, a lot of the persecution was coming actually from the Jews. It was actually coming from the Jewish establishment. Because this is one of the big things that, that sometimes we miss because we don't think about what, what weird stuff. Remember, Paul was a persecutor. Paul persecuted the church as a Jewish leader. Because when God started revealing himself and saying, I'm going to create a people, he first created a people through Abraham. And said, okay, I'm going to make you a people. But when he first made a people, he made it as the, the Hebrew nation. Or what became the what then changed Jewish nation. The Hebrews, the Jews. And he gave them a bunch of different identity as a nation, which we see in the Old Testament as he built them up as a separate culture, a nation. Now, but of course, the goal had always been to reach all the nations. And the Jews, of course, they kind of lost the goal and were more like, we're God's people and you're not. But even then, they were other people who were seeking God because God is constantly calling people to himself and so he would call people to himself, but if you wanted to know God, it meant going to the Jews to learn about him because that's where God had revealed himself. And so then as they helped you convert or become a, a God follower, they also converted you into being Jewish. So you followed all the Jewish laws and all the Jewish culture, so you got circumcised. And you observe the Jewish thing. And that's just what it meant to follow God. Being Jewish and following God had kind of become the same thing. So then Jesus comes along. But Jesus is Jewish. Jesus, but they, the Jews figure out he's the Messiah. At least the, the Jews who've accepted him. And so now you've got this community of Jews who are still, they're meeting in the synagogue, but they also meet in homes. And they're still Jewish and they're still following Yahweh, but they understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But then, as it begins to spread, you've got all these Gentiles becoming God followers. And all they know, all the, all the Jews know is, well, then you're supposed to do Jewish things. 
Because being a follower of God and being Jewish in their mind was the same thing. That's just how it was. And God, and if you read through the book of Acts, God was beginning to reveal to them, no, you can be a God follower and you don't have to be culturally Jewish. And that was weird. Because that's not how it had ever been. Because being a member of the culture for them was the same as being a member of the kingdom. And to begin to understand of, oh, you could be a member of the kingdom and not be a member of the Jewish culture? Well, that's weird. But they began to understand that it's not the same thing. But there were a bunch of people who were like, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yeah, you still need to be a, a good cultural Jew if you're going to be a good follower of God. And so they were going around saying, you, you, must, be, you must be circumcised or else you're not okay. You're not a good you're not a good Christian. You're not a good follower of God. Now, see, we tend to think, well, hang on. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come back to this thought. He says, Paul says, verse 14, he says, I'm not going to boast about whether I have followed these outward rules. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus. Verse 14. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross, I, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And it's a very interesting expression here because he says, not just that I'm dead to the world, but the world is dead to me. And that's what crucified means. He says, me and the world are gone. We're done with each other. And we'll come back to this idea of the world system in a minute. He says, so I'm not going to boast about circumcision or whether I followed these things. I'm not looking for who, who I can convince. I just want to boast in the cross of Jesus. And then he makes another bold statement. He had said, the world's dead to me and I'm dead to the world. And then in verse 15 he says, and... Neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision. Well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. I mean, he's arguing against circumcision, so you can understand him saying, now, circumcision doesn't matter. That would not be a weird thing for him to say. Say, circumcision doesn't matter. But he doesn't just say that. He actually goes further. He says, now, circumcision doesn't matter, and neither does uncircumcision. The opposite doesn't matter either, which is an interesting point. We'll come back to that as well. He says, what does matter? A new creation. Not what you've done. Not whether you got circumcised or didn't get circumcised. Not whether you have conformed to the Jewish law or not. But a new creation. A new work of God in you. And he says, verse 16 those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy. Because it doesn't mean he's creating a new religious rule. He means walk by this standard, walk by this way of life now, where crucifixion nor uncrucifixion is what matters to you, not this outward. So let's, let's walk by this rule. So let's apply this. And I want you to notice that he equates verse 12, a good showing in the flesh with verse 14 
the world. Most of us who grew up here in North America, grew up in the church maybe, if, if you if you got a great background in the church, or even any kind of religious background, we tend to think in two categories. You have religious and secular. Secular being the world. Yeah, we used to ask, now do you listen to Christian music or do you listen to secular music? You know, the music of the world. And so we draw this distinction between religious and secular, and oftentimes it's because... You know, we think about the secular world being anti-God, being atheistic, perhaps, and against God. So we have pro-God and against God. Those are our two categories. But notice that here, those that were pushing circumcision, he also marks as as a part of the world. Because we tend to think of the world as secular, but this world can be religious. In fact, if you think about being atheistic and not believing in God, if you go back through the entire history of the human race, the amount of times that atheism has been a thing and how big atheism is is vanishingly small. Atheism is not normal for humans. In our modern culture, it's gotten bigger, so we're more familiar with it. We, we might all know atheists. But if you look back through all the cultures of the world and go back through all the different cultures that have risen up over the last thousands upon thousands of years, you're going to find almost no atheism. Because atheism is not the standard religion is. And you'll find a wide variety of who God is, what God is, how you relate to God. And in fact, even if you now, if you were ever to go through and do a survey of atheists, I think you'd find a lot of them have had moments where they still toyed with or interacted a little bit with religion. I remember listening to an interview of a woman who was atheistic, but then she'd gotten cancer, and, she had, and then she made it through. She survived her cancer. But I remember her telling the interview, interviewer, she said, I have to tell you, in the darkest moments, I prayed. And she felt kind of embarrassed to admit that she had prayed. But even an atheist may at times go, well, just in case. Because there's a sense of God there. And so the world is not anti-God. The world is not anti-religion. In fact, a lot of the world oftentimes operates on religious systems. And it doesn't mean you're not in the world. So that's why I wrote up here, power, performance, earn. Because all these different religions have all said the same thing. Here's what you've got to do. And you need to be a member of us. And here's what you need to do. And here are the demands on you. And it becomes a power structure. And it becomes a system of control. Just using religion, using God. And we've even seen that come about even in what we call American Christianity or church, what I call, I stole it, I didn't make up this term, but churchianity. Where it becomes a system of control and power. And so we tend to not to think of that as the world, but Paul did. Paul said that's the world. That's how the world works, just using religion. So see, these guys were focused on an outward display or performance of righteousness. An outward display or performance of righteousness. Now think about that. Even in this day and age, I mean, we're up into the 21st century now, 
But there are still churches, probably within driving distance of us here, where if you showed up and walked in these doors on Sunday morning, as all of you did, yeah, there's not a man here with a tie. So obviously, y'all need to go home and get right with God. And I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt, so I need extra prayer. Why? Because that's important. That's, and, and, and there are churches that would, I mean, you'd be having a meeting. Like, not just, well, we'd like that, but no, this is important this, to the point of discipline of how men and women should dress because that's what, what, what are the outward signs of a good Christian? And we will enforce these things. And I, by the way, I'm not against ties. <laughs> ties are great. Don't love wearing them myself, but they're good. And I have, and I have, a, I have a lot of them. But see, the point was that that was a focus on, focusing on this outward performance of righteousness, whatever that performance looks like. That what it meant to be a good follower of God, what it meant to be a follower of God at all, meant to conform to these outside demonstrations of righteousness. And that's why I say, and some of them took pride in not doing it. Because that's the other side of it, where you can enjoy being the rebel. I don't, I don't do that, so I'm a better Christian. Well, I guess you're right back on the same thing. Which is why I think it's interesting. He says, neither is circumcision, nor is uncircumcision. You know, so if I say, well, I'm a better Christian because I don't wear a tie, because I'm not tied into those things. So obviously, well, tied into those things. Whoa, hey, that was unintentional. Art. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but that's a, what is that still? So I'm still making it about how good I am. I'm just finding a different reason for judging myself righteous. Now it's not because I conform, but because I don't conform. He says, but neither is circumcision nor uncircumcision anything, but what a new creation. And a new creation is not something you do, it's something that you are, and you didn't do that. It is something that God did. God is the one who creates. If you're a new creation, God did that, not you. And so Paul says he will boast in the cross. What is the cross? It's giving up. And he's not boasting in his cross. He's very specific here, verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not saying, I will boast in my cross. I mean, he does talk about his own cross. Jesus said, you must pick up your cross. But he says, but I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus. I'm going to boast in what Jesus did, not what he did. Because this is about God's work, not his. And so his boast is not, look, look what a good person I am, whether the good person is being rated by how you conform to Jewish law or some other standard of righteousness. But he says, my boast is not rooted in an outward display of righteousness, but a new creation, a work of God. And so we boast in what God has done. Now, I grew up in the church. And I was a good kid. Now, my mother's here, so you know, feel free to go and check this out. 
But I was a good kid. Now, I did have moments of rebellion. I'm going to tell you about one right now. And I've confessed it. Some of you have heard the story before. I've confessed this before. But like one time, mom and dad left us home alone for a while. Like for an afternoon. But we were told, do not watch TV. We watch TV. Now, we didn't watch anything inappropriate. We might have watched, I don't know, Mr. Rogers. I don't know. Or cartoons, probably. But we watched TV. But my parents didn't raise a fool. One of those old TVs, because back then they weren't old TVs. Those were just TVs. But they were big, and they had tubes in them. And they warmed up. And that which warms up has to cool off. And we knew about what time they were planning to be home, so I made sure we shut the TV off a minimum of 30 minutes beforehand. Knowing that we needed, that TV needed to be cool by the time mom and dad got home. And I remember sitting in the living room and my dad came in and he just walked around like being all casual-like. But I saw him put his hand out like, you know, just looking the other way and he just ran his hand above the television, the back side of the television, which was all just vents, to see if there was warmth rising. But I was, like, I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't been noticing, but I was watching because I figured he'd check, and he did. And so I said, is it warm? And he chuckled, and he goes, nope. <laughs> and I didn't tell him, that's because we let it cool. Are you crazy? Didn't say a word. Got away with it. Now, dad's been gone a while, but I did tell him that before he died. So my conscience is clear now. But my point is, that was my view of, that, that was my rebellion. But now, growing up, now and then we had people at camp or people who come to church, and they had what we called a testimony. They had a testimony because they'd had, they'd had some life. And they had done things that you shouldn't do. They had done bad things. And then they had found Jesus. And now they didn't do bad things anymore. And you'd be sitting there going, wow. And then you have this weird thought, they're so lucky. They have such a cool story. I don't have a cool story. And so later, I would even joke about that. I remember one time they asked me to give my testimony at camp. I said, yeah, I was a no good sinner. I was full of rebellion and terribleness. And then at the age of five, I met Jesus. Because I just wasn't a good, I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't do bad things. And so I, liked this. I felt robbed because I didn't have a cool story. And it wasn't until even maybe, maybe even after Bible college that I finally understood that the problem was is I had a view of myself as good. I saw myself as a good kid and so I didn't have a cool story of God's work because I didn't understand how great God's work had been in my life. Because the cool story was less about God's work and more about what happened to me, not what he did. And so the boast wasn't always about God. It was about self. And I felt like I didn't have a good boast about myself. But we boast about not what happens to me, but what God has done. Because what I figured out is daily, daily, I am in need of his grace, love, and mercy in my life because while maybe I never did the bad things out there, my heart is no less sick and deceitful and sinful. And the work of God is not any different in mine than somebody who has a big story. 
Because the work of God is the work of God. And it's not about, can I tell you how much I'm different? Paul said, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus. Because I'm dead to the world and the world is dead to me. That's not what it's about. So boasting in God's work. One of the biggest ways that we do that is baptism. I mean, we're Baptists, right? Baptism. The Bible says, believe and be baptized. So being baptized is an important part of following Jesus. But why? And this is where it tricks in. Because baptism is not an act of righteousness for you. And that's tricky because oftentimes we turn it into that. And I have people even now say, well, I'm not ready to be baptized. Why are you not ready to be baptized? Well, because I'm really not. I've still got a lot of, I, I need to work on my, like they feel they're not worthy to be baptized yet because they got stuff to work on. As if this was some sort of achievement to unlock by being good enough. And baptism becomes a sign. Have you been baptized? Yes, I've been baptized. Oh, ooh. But that's not what baptism is intended to be. Baptism is not an act of righteousness for you. You do not get baptized. I point here because this is where we do it. You do not get baptized for the purpose of demonstrating how good you are. And you don't become good so you can get baptized. And being baptized doesn't make you good. Because baptism is not supposed to be an act of righteousness for you, but is an act of boasting in His work. Baptism is supposed to be a boast about what God has done in your life. And the very, as, as Baptists, the Bible doesn't specify a manner, but we follow a form of baptism that by its appearance is meant to boast in the work of God. We call it immersion, which means you go into water. But laying down into the grave, the old self, the dead, and raising the new creation to new life. Rebirth through water. It's a picture of God's regenerating work. The death and resurrection. And so the act of baptism is a boast in God, not a boast in you. It's just simply saying, I am now trusting his work, no longer mine. But a lot of times, the world's religion has turned baptism into a sign of righteousness for you. And so maybe you're like, well, I just can't do it yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> ready isn't a thing. Do you, do you know what God has done? Do you accept God did it? Yes, then you're ready. Because it's an, this is a declaration of your trust in his work, not in an achievement of your own. It is rebirth by his work. A statement, and that's why you lay down into the grave, into the water, dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. Love that phrase. Of I'm now declaring, and, and Paul said, he goes, I don't have my own righteousness. Because my righteousness is but filthy rags. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and died for me. My whole life is about what he's done, not about what I do. 
I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to boast on. I'll tell you what I'll boast on. I'll boast on the fact Jesus loved me and died for me. That's what I got. That's what I can point to. And so my boast is now in Jesus' work on the cross. And so the question we have for today is, do you focus on outward performance and demonstrations of righteousness? Because we can so easily, oh, so easily, so quickly slip into this. Because this is the pull of the world. It pulls on pastors. Being a pastor can quickly become powerful, right? I'm a pastor. We get our name on the sign. Sometimes we get our name on the building, get our name on the bulletin. We put our name on the website. Who's your pastor? Me. Well, what happens? That feels pretty good. Pretty soon it's power. And then I can tell you what to do. This is better. And what am I doing? I'm slipping into the world. And then cool stuff happens at church and you get more followers. They say, I have a big church. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that with a mask. Yeah. And everybody's like, and I'm not shaking your hand on the way out. Do we focus on outward performance and demonstrations of righteousness? Do we look at who's, am I, am I, am I putting on a good show? Am I getting others to put on a good show? Because that's what these guys want. He says they want to make you part of their boast. They want to be able to say, look how many people we got to do the right thing. Or is our focus on weakness, death, and being made new by Jesus? Do people say, wow, you're so nice? And you say, no, I'm not. But Jesus is, and he lives in me. If people say, wow, you're such a nice person, say, I'm actually not, but let me tell you what you're seeing. Wow, you're so generous. No, my heart does not naturally do that, but let me tell you what has changed. It's not me. And then they will not meet you, they will meet Jesus. Because Paul said, I'm not going to boast in these outward signs. I'm going to boast in what Jesus has done. And there's a humility and a power in that that is very different than how the world works that says, look how good we are. We're better. And said, no, we are the redeemed we are the forgiven. We have, been, we have been the recipients of grace and mercy. And we didn't deserve it. That's why they call it grace and mercy, because it is undeserved. Let me boast to you about what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Father, may we as a church, may we as we operate in our town, in our, our, cult, our culture here, our, our county, As, as individuals and as a body, as we interact with those around us, may we never be boasting in what we've done, on how good we are. May we never reach for power. But instead, may we be constantly proclaiming 
the grace and mercy we have been shown because you loved us and you died for us. That you came and lived among us, gave up your life for us and rose again. And on this, all our hope centers. All that we have depends on you. Lord, as we give ourselves up, hopefully they will begin to see you in us and we will be different. And hopefully we will act better, but not because we are better, but because you are better and you are now doing a new work in us. We're a new creation. And that new creation points to you, not to us. And they will see you, not us. And our boast will still be in the end. We are unworthy servants. We've only done what we were asked to do. And all the praise and all the glory and all the honor from any good that we reflect will go to you. May we carry in us, as your servant Paul said, carry in us the death of you and the death of ourselves. Raised to life in you by your power. And may we be dead to the world, and the world dead to us, but signs of life to them. Hope, because you love the world. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.